Welcome to Schools of Thought, a podcast by Ed Essentials. You know, I think back on my experience as student teaching and how impactful it was. Student teaching is a make-or-break experience. Some will gain even stronger affirmation that they want to become a teacher, and others will make the decision to find a new path. In this episode, I wanted to bring on a friend who is in the middle of student teaching right now to share her insights, how to make student teaching meaningful, and lessons for all soon-to-be student teachers listening out there. Please welcome my friend, April. Well, April, thank you so much for doing this. I'm super excited to have you join uh, the Schools of Thought podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing good today. I had a day off. I had no student teaching, no college courses. So this is like the first day in a long time that I could do nothing oh except gosh. be on the podcast with you. Well, I appreciate you taking the time on your day off to, uh, to do this. Um, for listeners, tell them a little bit about um, your education background and then where you're student teaching right now. Not necessarily the school, but grade. Yeah, so I am from California. I am Vietnamese American. I actually graduated in May from Sacramento State with a liberal studies degree and a minor in teacher education. And then in the summer, in June, I started my master's and credential program. It is actually a one-year program. So I will be done next May and I'll officially be a teacher. Right now, I am student teaching in sixth grade, and I'm also a teacher coach for our speech and debate team in the district. Wow. So many things going on. Congratulations, by the way. That's so exciting. And California does a, a little differently, too, don't they, about their licensing with the one-year yeah. deal? So you have to do a one-year teaching credential program after you get your bachelor's. Your bachelor's can be in any field. But for me, I knew I wanted to get my master's just to have it and something I've had a goal for. And it does help you in the little pay scale a little bit. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> That's where I'm at. I'm kind of at right now, too. I'm in my second year. And so now I'm just now starting to, to look at the master's options and kind of see what's out there. So haven't made a decision yet, but you're already on top of it. So good for you. Yeah. So help me out. So I'm starting at a good place and hopefully can end at a good retirement plan later on. <laughs> Certainly. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself. I know you just gave us a brief introduction, but more of why did you want to go into education? And when was that moment that you knew? And have you always wanted to be a teacher? Or is it sort of a recency thing? Or tell us a little bit more? Yeah, so very cliche. I always knew <laughs> I wanted to be a teacher. That's what everyone says. The dream. I, yes. I used to play school with my sister. I would make her do worksheets. My mom would buy these workbooks from like Costco and things like that. I would pretend to grade during recess in elementary school. Instead of playing on the playground, I would go help teachers grade papers and like file. <laughs> and I thought it was the funnest thing to do. And then in elementary school, I was a part of a lot of extracurricular things like student council, talent show, 
we had a peace patrol committee. It's called uh, another thing called Project Cornerstone. I was in choir, speech team. So I was just around so many different teachers other than my own elementary grade teachers. And just being around them, they were always supportive. They're amazing. And they're the involved teachers that you wanna be friends with later on. And I'm actually friends with a lot of them now. But in high school, I kind of had a different mindset. In California, there are so many business opportunities, tech companies, engineering companies. And I thought, you know, if I wanted to live in the Bay Area, I had to do one of those things. And I was like, okay, I could do marketing or communications for mostly the money and the way I wanted to live. But then in high school, I was working with kids all the time. I worked at a trampoline park. I was a lifeguard. I did after school programs, summer camps, party hosting, babysitting, nannying, tutoring. Every single job I've had growing up has been around kids. And I didn't really see my future after that being with kids. But in 2015, I started nannying for a family. I started with him in fourth grade. He is the sweetest kid. We are still really good friends today. I actually saw him last weekend. But helping him with school through assignments and projects and studying and just being with him kind of reminded me everything I used to do when I used to play school. So for me, it didn't seem like a job. It just felt like all these memories of me being a teacher coming back and I saw his academics improve. I saw his confidence in school improve and he wasn't worried about going to school and things like that. And that was really when I was like, okay, I'm gonna change my career path. I changed my transfer plan from business marketing to liberal studies. And then now I'm almost done with my teaching credential program. So I always wow. knew, but there was a little hump in the road and now I'm almost there. So it's pretty exciting to be almost done and kind of happy with my lifetime career. And I know I want to be a teacher for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. You have that certainty too. You have that, like, there's no question of what you want to do. Like, yeah. even though it was a little bit unusual and maybe not as straight and narrow of a path as you could have taken, like you found it, right? Yeah. And isn't that the ultimate goal? Yeah. Some people, some people never find that, right? Exactly. And it was always there. And like, it kind of hit me like, I'm working with kids like why not make this a lifetime career like I don't need to work you know as a babysitter nanny the rest of my life but there is a career out there that I can help kids and that's teaching so, mm -hmm. and I'm now you're doing it yeah well hopefully you are and and now you're seeing that hopefully being confirmed every single day in your student teaching experience so you said you're student teaching sixth grade yeah so in my district specifically sixth grade is still elementary school so it's K mm -hmm. six. got it Okay. So you're a few months into your student teaching experience now. Um, and obviously, uh, probably under certain circumstances that are not ideal. Right. Um, so I want to know April, what has been the biggest surprise, um, from your student teaching experience thus far uh, amidst all the, the chaos, the uncertainty, everything, what's been the biggest surprise for you? It definitely has been hard to wrap ahead wrap my head around the fact that I am student teaching virtually. Like who would have ever thought this, you know, whatever happened. But I think something that has surprised me is that I'm still able to build those relationships with my students through the screen. 
And in undergrad, and when you talk to any teacher, they talk about the importance of building these relationships with your students. And I think I have been able to do that virtually, which is awesome. And that has really made a difference to, I think, the way my students respect me and the assignments that they turn in and how involved and engaged they are into our distance learning. Um, and it's been hard to do it because I feel like the beginning of the school year, it was kind of like, how are you supposed to get to know your kids during the online setting? Like, when is there time for it? You can't do the regular like bingo icebreakers online. There's a lot of adjusting and change you need to make. But I think how my mentor teacher and I have been doing it has worked. I can see their personalities through their assignments, through the screen, through like our open discussions. We do do a couple icebreaker games that has, you know, I can see their interest and things like that. And just little things like I can notice like what's behind them in their background. And I'm like, oh, is that like, you know, a Stephen Curry jersey? So I know that they like the Warriors and, you know, basketball. And then, you know, if a kid has a pink room, then I know her room, like her favorite color is probably pink. So like little <laughs> things like that, I have noticed that I've done. And, you know, I'll type in the chat like, hey, I like your, you know, your pink room or the sign behind you. There's one girl, she had one of those um, burrito blankets, like the tortilla blankets. Oh, that actually but, looks like a tortilla? Yeah. Oh my so gosh. I sent, I sent her a little chat like, hey, you look like a really warm burrito. And she like <laughs> laughed and I can see her laughing while reading my message. So things like that, I have been able to get to really know my students. And I feel like I've gotten to know all of them really well through just like little things like that, that I've been able to keep an eye out on for. And that's not something that they teach you how to do. It's no. all sort of on you to have the intuition to, to be like, I need to connect with my kids and like learn more about them. So what do I have at my disposal to really use to connect with them? And you're doing that, like even through a computer screen, you're noticing all the little things that we as educators can use. And then that allows you to have an even greater impact on them because they know that you care. They, they know that you're paying attention to the little things about their life and that matters to them. And they can tell the difference between a teacher who does care about those things and notice those things, notices those things. And then also actually is genuinely interested in those things versus I'm just doing this interest survey because I'm supposed to get to know you at the beginning of the year. And then we're just going to do whatever content we're supposed to do. Like, yeah kids know the teachers that actually care versus don't. And I'm sure your kids definitely have that relationship with you because you do those things. So that's awesome. I would never yeah, even I hope so. You are, I, I can totally tell. Um, so thinking about, you know, student teaching, um, you'd done your college program. Student teaching is sort of like the last step to becoming a teacher in most cases. And so going into it, what did you feel super prepared for, but also what was, and maybe this is like a non COVID answer. So let's get rid of that part. But like, what did you feel really unprepared for assuming you would have been in a, a normal classroom when you started student teaching? 
Yeah, something I felt really prepared for is that I have a lot of experience hands-on with so many different age groups. So I really felt comfortable being placed in any grade. How we do it in my program, usually you will be in an upper grade three to six and then a lower grade K through two. Mm. It might be different this year. We actually might be able to stay with our placements all year long, just because of COVID. It's mm -hmm. kind of a pain in the butt to find teachers that want <laughs> student teachers right now. And that was a big problem. Um, but I also have volunteered in the classroom a lot in person. I did a fourth grade class. I did a fifth grade class in Sacramento. I was like a math after school buddy for a third grader. Through my program, we took a class and we went to school and we did just like math activities for an hour and that was really fun. And then before transferring, I did volunteer with my very own fifth grade teacher. I love her. We are really good friends. I actually went to Disneyland with her entire family. Um, I saw her this past weekend. She wanted to meet my dog. Aww. So it's, it's kind of like 360 because I never would have thought I would be best friends with my teacher. So <laughs> I think having her definitely helped my ease a little bit with teaching and I knew that I got a lot from her from just volunteering in her classroom mm -hmm. for distance learning though I did feel pretty prepared about being virtual I have been doing it myself as a student since March finishing up my undergrad and now my graduate school so for me it felt normal in a way like it didn't feel weird going back virtually at first and I think I'm also really tech savvy and through nannying, I have seen all the different school platforms. So I was familiar with Schoolology, Google Classroom, Canvas. So any platform I would have used in student teaching, I'd probably be pretty good at it already. <laughs> so that was something that I wasn't really worried about. I knew how to use Google Slides, you know, all that kind of things. So I didn't really feel unprepared for distance learning per se, but I did feel unprepared to like how helpful would I be as a student teacher online like at first I really felt like I would kind of get in the way a little bit because you know as a teacher you're juggling so many other things would a student teacher really help virtually right now and for me I felt like you know I was just getting in the way and I didn't know how I could be the best student teacher I could be online. Like, what did that look like? Because that's not something we had a class about. That wasn't something there was a manual about. <laughs> so I didn't really know where to start and how I could be an asset to the classroom. But I think working with my mentor teacher, I know now that there are so many ways that I've been able to help her. I'm really tech savvy. So if she has trouble getting a PDF uploaded or rotating a PDF that she scanned like I do it super quick and things like that but if we were in person something I still feel pretty underprepared about is like IEP plans 504 plans and we don't really have a class on how to do a conference of that and how <laughs> to do a meeting of that and that's something yeah. I'm worried about. I actually haven't been able to sit on an online one. I don't think we've had one yet for my class. But, you know, having online conferences is so different than having an in-person conference. So that's something I'm worried about. And I'm also worried about now. I'm getting so good at distance learning. <laughs> How will I be when I'm in person? 
will I not know what to do because I've only talked to kiddos through the camera. Where'd your Zoom box go? I don't know what, what is this? You're a human being? Yeah. So like, you know, when I'm under my dot cam, will I say, okay, everybody, I'm screen sharing, please hold on. You know, like just things like that. I am a little scared about, but I think I will be okay. And I hope that it just flows so effortlessly when hopefully we go back very soon. Yeah. Well, you brought up so many things that I think are very natural for student teachers to feel. And I was in your shoes like a, a year and a half ago or so. So it wasn't like I was out of, you know, out of it for too long. So the whole conference and 504 IEP meeting thing, I think that's just an issue with how education programs are set up for colleges. Cause I went through the same thing. I had no experience of like what those looked like, how you're really supposed to supposed to provide individualized support and accommodations and all of that stuff until you really get in that teaching role and you have that meeting and you have, you know, your special ed teacher who's talking through all of the possibilities of these accommodations. You're like, oh, so this is how this works. Okay, cool. Um, but you like don't really learn that until you get there, right? It's just kind of a thing you figure out, which, you know, I think schools could do a better job of preparing you for, but um, but I, you know, as you were talking too about being in front of the classroom, it made me think of like just having that sense of control and security of standing in front of kids, right? Like you have so many experiences being in front of kids and working with kids. So I'm sure you transition fine, but there are so many people who absolutely love teaching, but they get in front of the classroom and they freak out or they, I mean, just as a first year teacher, you have that anxiety already of like, I just made this lesson last night. I'm not sure how it's going to go. And here we go. I've got 30 kids in front of me. Let's go. And you don't know how it's going to go. Um, and so just having that practice of, and, and those reps of being in front of kids over and over and over again, and patrolling and dealing with behavior issues and accommodations in class, those in, in class decisions you have to make on the spot, all of that, like game action you know what I mean? Like live game action, you're kind of missing out on, which is tough. And I feel really bad for student teachers them that way. Um, but I also feel good for you guys because you have all these other things that you're a lot better at now because of the situation. So I don't know. Yeah, I think it definitely is a win-win, but I think the aspect I feel like I'm missing out most on is that live opportunity because I can have my script and what I'm going to do to the T, I practiced it, you know, the <laughs> night before. But when you're in person, what are you going to do when the kids just don't get it? What are you going to do if no kids raise their hand? You know, what are you going to do if it's just too hard? You're going too fast. I feel like teaching, it's live. Like, you got to be able to make those adjustments, like you said. You have to be able for change. How are you modifying things? And what are you going to do if it was just a flop? Like you have to also be ready for that to happen. Yeah. Like, what are you going to do when a kid walks in and yells F you like, all right, I guess I got, I can't mute you. Like what happened to the yep. mute button? So like all of those little things. Yeah. I mean, I totally understand why there would be some stress there and anxiety, but this is why we have cooperating teachers and they're supposed to be helping. Um, you know, and, and for me, I had, a couple, you know, a couple of very different experiences, one fifth grade experience, and then one sixth and seventh grade. Um, so elementary, middle school, and great experience, you know, sixth and seventh grade experience was there for fifth grade, but I learned a lot of what not to do in terms of how I wanted to teach and sort of the philosophy of teaching. So I'm interested in to hear 
Um, what have you learned from your cooperating teachers so far? And maybe it's just one. I'm not sure if you've had two yet or not. That seems like one, but whether it's been good or bad, what have been some of the things that you've learned from your teachers? Yeah, so I've had one so far, mm -hmm. maybe a next one, my last semester, but she knows everybody in town. She has so many connections that I've been really helpful with distance learning. She knows a guy that makes t-shirts for a good deal. So we get class shirts every year specifically for her theme. So this year it was a school theme of video games and our class was Legends of Zelda. So she wow. got these really cool shirts made and it was like the same font of the Legends of Zelda with our class name. She knows you know, people that can party decorate and she gets them to do our talent shows. She has a cake pop maker and one mom made cake pops for our grab and go. She just knows everybody. And she's also not afraid to ask for things when she wants something. So recently I posted on my Instagram, she actually brought in Adam Jacobs from the Disney Broadway Aladdin. And I was like, how do you do it? You know, she's like, <laughs> you just have to ask. And I was like, you just asked him? And he was like, okay. And yeah, he was. She explained like our situation. He actually is also from the Bay Area. So that was really cool. And he came in to talk for Filipino Heritage Month. And it was a great experience. I got to sing with him a little snippet. I saw that. A whole new world. Yeah, it was just awesome. And she kind of just reminds me that like, it doesn't hurt to ask. And if you have these connections, go ahead and use them. Because you don't know how different parents and different community members can contribute to your classroom. Mm -hmm. And, you know, having like decorations and cake pops and t-shirts, those things aren't cheap if you had to pay for them out of pocket. So when she gets them for a really good deal, sometimes even free, it's like, man, I need to start, you know, logging all my friends who do different things <laughs> out there in the world and right. how they can help me when I get my classroom. Yeah. Be nice to people because they'll be nice back, right? That's amazing. Yeah. Well, and, another and, thing. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Another thing I think that I've really learned from her, she is super into the arts and the extracurricular. She is in charge of every single committee you can think of on campus. <laughs> Yearbooks, student council. She does like book clubs, talent show, everything she's involved in. And it really kind of reminds me of my teachers I had when I was in those extracurriculars. And I know some teachers get stuck doing it and they might not you know, want to be a part of it, but she's so passionate of it. And it really just reminds me that they're really good teachers out there. That's another thing. And I think the assignments she's been having the kiddos do have been really engaging. So we've done like a Greek God reality TV show, the kids, <laughs> had an NFL style pick of a Greek God. And then together they made a reality TV show about it. And like the things these kids create is so amazing. And even though, you know, they're not filming with each other, just the end product is so awesome. She had them write a song about the water cycle, just different videos and media things that we have been able to do with distance learning. And I think that's something I want to take away from her, especially for when we go back in person. I think we can still have those technology assignments, even when we're in person, because the kids are so good at it and they already do it. Like so many of them, you know, stream on Twitch for video games. They vlog to themselves, you know. 
So I think that's something that I've learned from her that I can still use like those assignments in in in-person classroom. Oh, absolutely. And she sounds like she is so willing to just be creative and to take what seemingly is a boring, you typically it's actually exciting from students I've talked to is Greek gods. Like that seems like something that's interesting, but it could be boring. And, but she's choosing to make it in a way that is super engaging, you know? And, it, and like you said, back with the, the whole Aladdin experience, which is amazing. Like that's going to be something they remember for a lifetime. And all it took was an email. The email is free. Oh. It took you probably a a minute or two to like put together the email, explain what you needed and then send like, what's the worst thing they can say is no. Yep. All right, cool. They're busy. At least I tried, but it's the fact that she is setting such a good example for you and for everyone else listening, because she's just willing to do that little extra step. Right. And that extra step of just sending that email turn into a, like a life-changing experience. Right. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, for the, for some students though who are in student teaching and this was me for one of my experience they did not have as great of a role model um maybe you know had some bad habits had some bad teaching practices some bad philosophy and maybe didn't treat kids the nicest more tra- you know traditional style and so if you're you know if you were speaking to student teachers that are currently in a placement where they aren't finding the support or the fulfillment or the you know, the connection and supportive teacher that they want, what might you say to them? I think you really have to remind yourself as a student teacher that every moment is a learning moment, whether good or bad. I think that there's a lot to learn from your mentor teacher. We call it mentor teacher, but some call it cooperating teacher. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, yeah, they are meant to be a good role model for you, but sometimes they're not going to be, but you can look at the situation and think about what would I do and handle the situation differently? What would I do in my very own classroom? If they're doing maybe a more you know, boring assignment, how can you make it more engaging? How can you change it and alter it? So your kids wanna do something, they create great things and they show that they're meeting the standard. And I think I will have a lot of my friends in my program that aren't having the best experience, but again, it's what you make out of it. Your mentor teacher is not meant to be the perfect teacher and you're not supposed to be just like the mentor teacher. I think the part of student teaching is that you are figuring out what kind of teacher you are, what works for you, what your learning style is, how you are going to handle kids who, you know, talk back to you or don't do their homework. It's really a thing of trying to figure out your place and your middle ground. So in one of my classes, we've been talking about a warm demeanor teacher. So you are perfectly in the middle of warm. You're nice, but not too nice, but you're not a demeanor where you yell at your students all day. It's completely just tough, not even tough love, just like really tough for them to get along. And I think (laughs) for me, my mentor teacher is definitely on the more tough love side, which works great for her classroom. And I think it works really great for her sixth graders specifically. And she even has people that request her because she is, if you don't want to do an assignment, don't do it. And she does like, if you want to act up, she will not go for it. So she's tough in that aspect. And I think being in her class, I have become a lot more warm 
because we even out each other. So I think some kids, they might not be good in a classroom with the teacher who just gives them tough love. They might need that really like comforting teacher. But I think finding your place in that scale of where you are as a teacher works. And I don't think you have to stick to one the rest of your life either. Mm-hmm. I think in different situations, you might need to have more tough love with the student. You might need to be more warm with the student and it might change you know, every year or so. But I think you really just take the most of the experience student teaching. Again, don't be like your mentor teacher if they aren't someone that you look up to and isn't a good teacher. It's sad that there are teachers out there who, you know, might not love their job, might not be the best role model for student teachers. And that's another thing. If you aren't going to be a good role model and help out your student teacher, maybe you shouldn't have one. (laughs) That's another topic to go into. Mm -hmm. Because I think it really is like we are counting on you as our role model right now. And I think like if you're not up for that and you're not ready for it. And I think also if you're not ready to hear feedback we give, because, you know, we're a fresh new teacher, we have a lot of things to bring to the table too. And I think a lot of my friends in my program, they're having trouble with bringing up things to their mentor teacher because they know they don't really want to hear it. So I had one friend, she wanted to bring up pronouns because that's something we really do in college. We introduce each other with pronouns. And she kind of brought it to her mentor teacher and the mentor teacher brushed it off. And then from there, like, what do you do if they don't take on your idea? So at the end of the day, it's their classroom. They're going to do what they want to do. But you as a student teacher, take what you want to take. Either you're going to use it in your classroom or you're not. And you're going to make it better. And you're going to be a better teacher from every bad moment you might have during Mm -hmm. your placement. And honestly, I'm glad you're talking about those bad moments because sometimes, and this is not, you know, a utopia world. I wish it was, but it's not. Sometimes experiencing those bad teacher moments and watching what you don't want to be, that is going to ingrain in your head forever. And it will always be a constant reminder of, you know, how you truly should be treating kids and how you would want to be treated if you were the student in their position. And sometimes that is more powerful than, you know, a teacher who's got it all together is perfect and is like the dream teacher for you. Like that's powerful too, but sometimes it's even more powerful to see that negative experience, to truly have that deep inner sense of certainty that you know what you're doing is is good good and best for kids, right? Um, yeah, that's such a tough, that's such a tough thing to deal with for student teachers. And honestly, I don't know if this is right or wrong. Maybe I'm giving bad advice, but <laughs> you know, if, if your cooperating teacher is telling that student, you know, something that you disagree with, go have a talk with that kid later and be like, you know what? I'm sorry that this is happening to you. I'm willing to help you here, but we got to keep it between us. You know, yeah. I'm willing to go on that, you know, that limb for that kid. And I'm not saying put your student teaching placement in jeopardy or anything like that. But if you see something that's happening to a kid and you want to step in, feel like you can, but there are ways to go about it and maybe talk with your, your um, college professor or whoever your advisor is and, and make a plan of action. Cause I'm sure they have had other experiences where they've had, you know, their, their students in bad placements. And so there are ways to navigate that certainly, but I'm so happy what, that you said what you said, because especially with everything going on with COVID and 
like all that stress and everything else going on. Plus you get a bad placement and you don't feel like you're, you know, you're really getting a role model and learning a lot, then that could feel really depressing and defeating for a person who's trying to be a teacher. But you can almost, if you embrace it the right way, you can transform that into energy um, towards, Definitely. right. Towards your future and how you, how you want to be as a teacher once you get there. So I, I'm glad that you said what you said. Um, I was going to ask, how did you handle your bad student teaching placement in fifth grade? Like, was it so bad that you had to take it up, you know, to your college? Cause I think if it really does get that bad, I would recommend taking it that far, you know, depending on the situation, things like that. Right. But and, and you know what? My, my advisor already kind of knew because she had had uh, student teachers before. And so the, I'm sure she had had the same conversation because she had sent other students to the same teacher before because there's just a lack of, you know, people who want to take teachers, like you said, who want to take student teachers. And so she prefaced the whole experience with me of saying, this might be a little tough, but you're going to learn a lot. Um, and so for me, I did it kind of exactly what I said. Like she would, she's would undermine me a little bit where it'd be, uh, you know, a student would get up and start walking to go get a pencil. And she would say, and I would have given them permission to go do that. And then she would say, no, 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 you need to sit down and raise your hand and I need to call on you, you know, that type of thing. Um, you know, ripping stuff out of people's hands, yelling, like yelling a lot to the point where it was excessive and it made me angry. And it made me like, I started doing some of that and I felt super frustrated with myself every single day because it wasn't what I wanted to do. You know, and at first I was mirroring her because I thought it was the right thing to do because I'm, I'm a student teacher. What do I know? Yeah. You know? And so once I truly started understanding that this was not okay, then I, I went about it my own way and I did what I had to do to pass. And <laughs> luckily and not luckily enough, but she had a sort of a leave for a while due to some health reasons. She, I mean, she's fine now, but um, I had the classroom to myself. And so it was kind of, you know, a little bit of karma, but like a good, good opportunity for me to really get thrown into the fire of like, all right, man, if you're going to judge her, then you better be ready to go because it's your class now. Um, and so I learned a lot, but yeah, I mean, finding a, a system of support is important. Um, people who can understand what you're going through, who can, you can vent to and kind of talk to um, because it is hard. You're spending eight hours a day, you know, trying to give everything you have to a job you, you want to love and you know, you, you're seeing teaching being done the wrong way. And so, but you're in a position where you have a lot less power to do anything about it. So it's tough. I mean, do what you can find people to support you, but also know that you can do those little things here and there that will help you get through the day. Like those little connections with kids that you can make. So, um, thinking about all the student teachers that are in their placements right now, and you said you're about to be, you know, when does your student teaching placement actually end? So I'll be done with this one the second week of December. And then yeah. when the school year goes back in January, I may or may not get one. I haven't really got an update okay. on if we're staying year long, if I'm going to lower grade. And then I will officially be graduated in May. So that's so, it's that's fast. so awesome. yeah. yeah, that's flying by. Um, and so there are a lot of students right now that are in college that are getting ready to student teach in the spring, right? And you're already like halfway through it. So yeah. what would you recommend to those that are um, soon to be student teachers that want to gain the absolute most value from their student teaching placements? 
I have really been able to immerse myself into the school culture, even though we are online. So I dress up for every single spirit day. I have been in the school meetings. I have done district-wide professional development, which is super full circle because this is actually the school district I went to school in. Oh, really? In elementary school and middle school. So I like almost cried one day because I was in this <laughs> meeting. I'm in this meeting and I'm just like going through the participants and I can see like my fourth grade teacher, my fifth grade teacher, my sixth grade teachers, <laughs> my English teacher, my PE teacher from middle school. And all these teachers are just still around. And it just felt so warm, like full circle that like, this is where I'm at. I'm in this meeting, you know, and they can't see me because there's like 600 people there. Mm-hmm. But I'm in this meeting with the teachers that made me want to become a teacher. And that was just so amazing of a feeling. But I think just like, even if you were in person attending the back to school nights, attending the fall, you know, harvest festival or the field trips, things like that. For me, I have been attending all the grab and goes. So we do like our drive-by pickups and stuff. Mm -hmm. We had one for back to school. And my mentor teacher and I had one just for um, a STEM activity we wanted to do. There are, there was another one that we did for Halloween. I dressed up, her and I dressed up as Jojo Siwa and the kids were very embarrassed (laughs) with it. But things like that make it feel normal because I have been the type of person, I used to dress up for all the spirit days. I love Halloween and things like that. But really just being a part of the school culture, getting to know the principal, getting to know the other teachers on campus, because those could be future connections when you start applying. So I really like my principal at my school is really awesome. And I would love to teach in the school district just to say, you know, I went to school here (laughs) one day. Um, But, you know, she can help me talk to the other principals at other elementary schools. And I am doing my speech and debate team and the superintendent is part of it. So she already knows my name and my face. So I hope those connections do help later on if I stay where I am right now. But also to keep a journal, I do have to keep a journal for one of my classes for student teaching, but I think it has been beneficial so I can go back and see what works, what doesn't work. Specifically, since I'm online, I've been bookmarking a lot of things that I need to go back and organize, but I bookmark anything my mentor teacher sends me. We, we're in a couple of Facebook groups online and they have so many awesome resources. So it's like bookmark, bookmark, bookmark. <laughs> Another thing I think, you just really have to stay open-minded in your student student teaching placement. I know some days for me, I've had some bad days and it is hard because it's like, you know, is this what I want to do if I keep having these bad days, but it's going to get better. And obviously for me, the situation is so different from what, you know, the rest of my life of teaching is going to look like. Hopefully the majority of my life will be in person. But right now, again, like I said earlier, every moment is a learning experience. So you really just got to absorb everything you can. I say student teaching is like drinking from a fire hose. Like you were just trying to absorb all this information, every amazing thing that this cooperating teacher or mentor teacher is doing. You're trying to take in every single experience. And then it's like, all right, now, like when you go back to find it all, like what happened? <laughs> I don't know where it all went. Yes, um, definitely. But seriously, taking a journal is so important. And we like, even we say that now as, you know, full-time teachers record, you know, how this lesson went and what would you change? And so I'm really bad about that because like, you know, just life of a teacher, it just picks yeah. up and you find every, you know, the to-do list never ends. So you have to schedule in time to be 
explicit and intentional to reflect on your day, to reflect on your lesson. Because when you go back to teach that lesson, if it was a flop, you need to know why it was a flop, right? Or you yeah. want to really remember that amazing activity and what made it so amazing. Or, oh, how did my mentor teacher do this? Because I remember they did it this certain way and it really worked well for these kids. And so making sure that you're being super intentional with how you reflect. I'm so happy you said that because that's such a vital, vital aspect of student teaching, especially when you're sort of shaping your philosophy and then taking that next leap and trying to apply for jobs. You, you need to really be able to talk about with interviewers, you know, how you're able to reflect on your experience, what were some of the good things and the bad things, um, and how did your teacher help shape who you are and how, like, what are you going to be like when, if I were to give you a classroom in my school, right? Yeah. And so that's all really hard to put together unless you take time to reflect on it. Definitely. Uh, so um, how can people connect with you, April? I have an Instagram that I made this summer in the beginning of the pandemic. It is at Academically April. I also have a YouTube channel. I just got into that. I have been vlogging some student teaching experiences. I have some videos on my admission process specifically into my program and how to become a teacher in California because in every state it's slightly different. California, there are a lot of hoops to mm -hmm. juggle um, and some of them I didn't even know about until, <laughs> you know, my program. So I, yeah. I have gotten a lot of feedback from a lot of people applying to the programs and stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, getting those DMs of like, thank you so much. Like your video helped me. It's just so rewarding. And I think that's why I love, you know, being on this teacher community platform and also being a teacher because having, you know, your students just be like, thanks, Miss April. Like, I get it. You know, like those <laughs> moments are just so amazing that it just you know, it continues to remind me why I want to become a teacher. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right. Last question. Ask this to every single guest. And I'm interested to hear your perspective as a student teacher, um, since you're sort of brand new to the profession. Um, all right. So say there is a complete revision of schools across the world, and we decide to build a brand new education system from scratch. Okay. And as they interview educators across the world to shape this new education system and what it would look like, um, they allow three statements per educator and they choose you student teacher, April. Um, and you're, you're sitting and telling them, um, the people that are designing the school system, um, you know, your three statements about education, you know, what are the three things that you would say to those people about edu um, about education as a system or what should they know? Yeah. So if I could like, you know, start fresh and make it how I would like it. I think the first thing I would say that we need to make schools more engaging because right now we have been stuck with this idea of school and this like traditional way of school for so long. Everything around us is improving and upgrading. Things are changing, but I feel like for some reason, the education system just stays the same. We're so just like in one spot, but I think we really need to start making it not about busy work, little worksheets and things, but assignments that are really purposeful and meaningful. And then I also think that we need to incorporate the arts into all curriculum and all schools. Cause I know not all schools have like art docents or art classes and things like that, or extracurriculars like band, you know, choir, talent shows and things. And I think 
that is something that we really need to incorporate because there are statistics that students perform better academically when they're involved in the arts. They have lower anxiety when they're participating in the arts. So I think that's something that, you know, if I was able to create a new school system, I would. And it also just has students, you know, find a new interest, a way to express themselves. And that's another important thing. And I think the last thing would be we need a curriculum that tells both sides of the story rather than one. Because we know that, you know, our history books might just tell one side, might not tell the other. So I think that it's important to see both sides and students can form their own opinions through that. But I think it is limiting when we don't talk about other perspectives. And then I think there's an extra one I'm throwing in there. Teachers need to be paid more. So that's <laughs> Just slide that one in. Yeah, slide that one in while <laughs> all the other ones. Because that's important too. If we have time for that one. <laughs> yeah. April, you are wise beyond your years. You've got a bright future ahead. Those are amazing statements. So thank you. Thanks, Hunter. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Schools of Thought, a podcast by Ed Essentials. Original music by Patrick Cunningham. Links to connect with us and our guests are in the show notes. Remember, always bring your best, and we'll see you next time on Schools of Thought.